now let's just take a minute to uh, uh, lay out the path of where we're headed in the rest of these teachings. Um, what I think we'll do is we'll look at the book of Revelation because it gives us uh, just a straightforward overview of the end times. And uh, this teaching right now will be the introduction to the book of Revelation, where we're looking at the total pattern. Then after that, we'll look at the day of the Lord. What is the day of the Lord? And what are the events that are promised for that day, which marks the beginning of the reign of Christ on earth? And then we'll finish up with a look at what does the reign of Christ actually look like as it's described in scripture. So here we are with an introduction to the book of Revelation. And I want to say two things about it that seem at first to be contradictory. The first thing is that the book of Revelation is indeed prophecy of the future. It is God telling us what the future holds for us. It is not, as the amillennial person says, simply a series of, of vast parables or allegories of the spiritual life of the Christian. Uh, the millennial reign of Christ is not just a picture of the church on earth. It is uh, a revelation of future events that God himself is portraying for us for his own purposes so that we can be prepared, so that we can look forward to things as they really will be and not be deceived by false prophets. The way we know this is a, a, a picture of future events is that John specifically quotes from Isaiah 48. Now, Isaiah 48 is that chapter of scripture where God specifically tells uh, his people that he is portraying future events. Uh, we read about that when we were looking at the prophet Isaiah. And in that same chapter, he says, I am the first, I am the last. And he, he makes the point that he has the power to tell what's in the future because he is ever present in all of those times and time is, is like a, a dime novel in his back pocket, as somebody said. And so he has the ability to do this for us. And um, so now here's that very same quotation showing up several times in the book of Revelation. And that's John's way of saying this is reliable prophecy from the Lord who, who sees it all. He sees the past and the future all as one. So Jesus is confirming this in Luke 24, 44. Let's just look at that here. This is, these are the words of Jesus. So everything that the apostles say, Jesus started it. In, in other words, they don't say things that Jesus didn't give them reason 
to say. So here are the words of Jesus in Luke 24, 44. Um, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And so Jesus here is honoring the prophecies in the Old Covenant. And he's saying he is the fulfillment of all those prophecies. So if we're looking at uh, an understanding of what Jesus promises or what the Holy Spirit is revealing, we should look back at the Old Covenant and the, the Psalms and the, the Law and the Prophets in the entire Old Covenant. It, it's all about the Messiah. It's all about Jesus. And so we can, we can gain this perspective, um, not by creating things as the church, but by recognizing that we're grafted into Israel and God has already revealed these things to Israel. And now we get to be the beneficiaries of that. Well, the book of Revelation quotes the Old Covenant more times than, than you can count. I, I mean, I suppose you could count them, but there are a lot of references. And each of those references was precious to the Jewish heart. In other words, John, John would be quoting a little piece of a chapter, but to him, he, he assumed you knew the chapter where that was coming from, and it was, it was like he was reminding his Jewish hearers, it's all coming true in the end. So, by quoting from that chapter, it's, it's like he's saying, we're all aware of what that chapter says. It's sort of like Jesus on the cross, and he, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, to us Gentiles, that's just a cry of despair from the cross. But Jesus was familiar with the Old Testament, you see, and that's, it's not a cry of despair from the cross. It's a quote from Psalm 22. And so it's like he's saying, all right, we're, it's like the whole Psalm 22 comes forward into the present and is being quoted by Jesus from the cross. So it's all there. It's not just a cry of despair. It's, it's a prophecy fulfilled in Jesus. Well, Jesus knew where that prophecy ended up with. It ended up with the victory. You read, the, you read Psalm 22, and you'll see it's really a cry of victory because it's, it's, a, it's a cry of the kingdom of God. It, it's, it's an awareness that he is the king. He's dying so that he can be raised, so that he can be ascended, and that the whole earth will be his inheritance. You read Psalm 22 yourself, you'll see it's not just a cry of despair. So every time the Apostle John quotes an Old Testament verse, we need to go back to that Old Testament passage and see its context and see how the whole thing is brought forward and it's fulfilled in the book of Revelation and will be fulfilled at the end of the age. So that's my heart, is to, is to see... Uh, 
the old covenant being fulfilled in the new covenant. Okay, and what that means is the book of Revelation is a prophecy of future events, which were also described in the Old Testament and were clearly prophecies of future events. All right, now, but on the other hand, here's the other side. I'm saying that the book of Revelation is not a running narrative of things that are going to happen at the end of the age. In other words, it's not a story uh, of what is going to happen that we can start at the beginning, chapter 1 or chapter 4, uh, or anywhere, and then read through and chapter by chapter, a chronological picture of end time events finally ending up at the end. It's not that way. And the reason it's not that way is that the Jewish people were not linear thinkers. All right, what is linear thinking? Linear thinking is something that is very strongly present in Western culture and in Greek-influenced thinking, which is what all of us in the Western world do. Our thinking is Greek, and therefore it's linear. And we've, we've looked at this already with the prophet Isaiah, how in our way of doing things, we think it should start at the beginning and then it should be orderly and exactly chronological and then it should end at the end. That's linear thinking. The problem is the Jews betray a, an opposite approach to telling about things. They show that they have no concept of linear thinking and don't care about it at all. And so even in, for example, the Gospels, you have uh, the, the Gospels uh, of the, the three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're sort of together, but then you've got the Apostle John, and his Gospel is a totally different take. And, and, and if you, for example, just look at one story, the story of the cleansing of the temple. Well, uh, the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have that story at the end of Jesus' life. But John has that story at the beginning of Jesus' life. Well, we're going to ask, well, who was right? Somebody was lying here. No, it's not a matter of lying. It's a matter that the order of things was simply not important to Jews. They didn't even think about ordering their Gospels in that fashion because they were not linear thinkers. And we've seen that with Isaiah. You could, you could go almost anywhere in any of the biblical writings and you'll see that linear thinking was simply not important to them. But it is important to us. And that, I believe, is why almost every single interpreter of the book of Revelation that we have today assumes that the book of Revelation is a story of the end of the age that starts here, it moves through, and at the end of the book, it 
finishes. Chapter 22, that's the end of the story. And so we try to read it as an ongoing narrative, but it is not an ongoing narrative. So as soon as we allow ourselves to get rid of our own linear thinking and to realize that maybe the Apostle John was not thinking that way and never intended for this to be an ongoing chronological story, then we have to take a fresh look at the book of Revelation and ask ourselves, well, what is it if it's not in a continuing story? Again, let me say that my heart is, is not to come up with some clever new idea about the book of Revelation. My heart is to, is to continue the search, the quest of John Wycliffe, who said, we've got to go back to the original. We've got to get back to how Jesus saw it, how the apostles saw it. If we can possibly rediscover this, then that's what we need to try to do, rather than coming up with our own clever interpretation. And so here's what we notice as we just try to see, God, what, what did you mean by this book? that's so hard for us to understand. And what I'm gonna to say to you is not very um, clever. And in fact, almost everybody has noticed the things that I'm going to say. All I'm, all I'm doing now is pointing out the obvious. Just about everybody that has ever studied the book of Revelation sees that there are breaks, there are break points in the book. The person who wrote, the, who uh, uh, organized the book into chapters noticed this. And so that's why the breakpoints conveniently happen at chapter endings. And it's very easy to, to just tell you what these breakpoints are and, and, and to point out that the, that the material in between them becomes a section of the book of Revelation. And since there are six breakpoints, there are seven sections. And those sections are chapter 1 to 3 is the first, 4 to 7 is the second, 8 to 11 is the third, then 12 to 14, 15 and 16, 17 to 19, and 20 to 22. And those are the, the sections which turn out to be distinct visions. All right, so the book of Revelation has seven visions. This is not an ongoing story, it's seven visions. And as soon as you recognize that it's, that, that it's we who with, with our linear thinking who have twisted this into a story, now we're trying to untwist this and ask, well, what's there? And what we have is seven visions. Each vision has a different subject. All of the visions have exactly the same theme. So the same theme that you have throughout all of the visions is the theme of the victory of Christ and the triumph of the kingdom of God. Every vision has that in common. But 
each vision has a different focus, a different subject matter. And so it's as though uh, John is uh, uh, turning over here and saying, what does this victory look like over here? All right, then turning over here. What does the victory look like over here? And he's going to do that seven times. He's going to do it first for the church, okay? So chapters one, two, three, portray the victory for the church. Then he turns and he portrays the victory for history. He's portraying redemptive history here. Then third, he looks at the creation, the condition of the creation itself. Then fourth, he's going to look at Israel and his plan for Israel. Fifth, we're going to see judgment for sin. Sixth, we're going to see judgment of the world system. And then seventh, we're going to see the coming kingdom of God. That's the pattern of the book of Revelation. It is future prophecy but it is not a running narrative of end-time events. What further evidence do we have to believe that this is the pattern of the book of Revelation? Well, first of all, you'll notice that as you look at these seg segments, many of these segments themselves have seven parts. So you realize that the number seven is a very, very important for the Apostle John. Linear thinking and telling things in order is not important, but the number seven is important. And so the seven visions are important because the seventh shows the kingdom of God. It's the end piece at the end of the book of Revelation. So to that degree, we do have at least a narrative that ends at the end. It shows the redemptive end of history. And so that's appropriately the seventh vision because the number seven means perfect. That which is perfect has come. Well, what about all the other sevens in the book of Revelation? They have exactly the same meaning. That which is perfect has come. All right, so you can't have the seventh thing happening if it's not the end of the story. So because of that, we see this seven pattern, this, all right, seven churches, um, seven uh, seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls of wrath. Each one is the it ends at the end of the story. Then you start over again, you see. It has to be that way for the number seven to have its proper meaning. And that is what is important to John. It's not a continuing story. It's the seventh thing portraying the coming kingdom of God and the hope of the kingdom. And then on top of that meaning of the number seven, what we have is quotes, and the quotes come always at the end 
in association with the number seven, and the quotes always seem to have to do with the triumph of Christ, the establishment of his kingdom on earth, and the day of the Lord when that begins to happen. And so you see this at each of the uh, visions that are given here. Um, for example, um, here's just an example, Re Revelation 11.15, which is right in the middle of the book. And it has to do with the seven trumpets. Now we know in our head that when you get to the, the last trumpet, that's when Jesus comes back. And yet somehow then we want to go on and read the next chapters as though they were a continuation of the story. They're not a continuation of the story. They start over with a fresh emphasis, a fresh uh, focal, focal point. And then we have here, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Do you see how it's a statement at the end of the vision that Jesus has come, and his, he's now established his vision, his, his kingdom on the earth. And you'll see the evidences of that as we go along in each of these visions. Uh, we'll just uh, devote one teaching to each of the basic visions in uh, the book of Revelation. So one by one, that's what we uh, will start with in our next teaching.